You're listening to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. Pastor Mark and Grace Driscoll's new book, Win Your War, looks at how God creates and Satan counterfeits. There's a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the church. This is a super biblical and practical book. Order Win Your War today. All right, eighth and final week for the Win Your War series. As they say, we have saved the best for last. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about him for a long time. We're going to talk about him very enthusiastically. They could talk about sports on ESPN. They could talk about impeachment on Fox and CNN. We're talking about Jesus, amen? That's what we're talking about today. And here's what I want you to know. Little spoiler alert, you're all going to die. I don't know exactly when but you're all gonna die. And when you do, where you will be is decided in this life. Because ultimately, here's the bottom line. You are headed to heaven with God or hell with Satan, period. Everybody dies, gets one way ticket somewhere. Today, you're gonna decide where to go. I hope it's heaven, I hope it's not hell. It all comes down to what you decide regarding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You and I make decisions every day. How will we spend our money? What will we wear? What will we eat? The most important decision you will ever make is the decision that you will make today. That is, will you receive Jesus Christ as Lord God, Savior, and King? That ultimately the reason why the decision regarding Jesus Christ is the most important decision is because he is the most important person. In the history of the world, no one is in the same category as Jesus. There is no founder of any major world religion other than Christianity where the founder declares himself to be God. Jesus said he was God with his words. Jesus showed he was God with his deeds. Furthermore, he is the most significant person in the history of the world. More songs sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more books written regarding him than anyone who has lived in the history of the world. We measure time by Jesus into BC, before Christ, AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And we're getting ready for Christmas, which is Jesus' birthday, biggest party on earth. All of this really does matter because your eternal fate rests, rises, falls with whether or not you receive or reject Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna give you a bit of an overview of the Bible. I know that some of you are not yet Christians. You're gonna become a Christian today. God didn't tell you because he knew you wouldn't show up, but now that we got you, spoiler alert, you're not going to hell when we're done today, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna see Jesus fix that for you. Nonetheless, the storyline of the Bible makes sense of all the storylines of history and all in our personal experience. The story of the Bible is that you are one person in two parts. You have a physical body, which we see. You have a spiritual soul, which God sees. You are one person in two parts. This correlates with reality. There is the physical world, which we see. There is a spiritual world behind that world that God sees and sometimes allows us to see. And in what I will call the unseen realm, there are divine beings, angels, the sons of God, the heavenly hosts, the divine council. There are divine beings in addition to Satan and demons, just as in our world, there are human beings. Now, the story of the Bible is that God is eternal, that before God made us, God made these divine angelic beings to worship and serve him. And they declared, some did, war on him. 
that pride replaced humility because what God creates, Satan counterfeits. One of these beings declared war on God, recruited to join him in his rebellion, a third of the heavenly host. Those angels we now know as demons, that rebel we now know as the as Satan, the dragon, or the devil. They lost their war in heaven. They couldn't unseat God from his throne of rulership. So they were cast down to the earth. We see in Genesis chapter three, where they bring the fight to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and they recruit them as they did some of the angels, inviting them to join in this rebellion, this coup attempt against God. Tragically, sadly, our first parents, voting on behalf of all humanity, chose not to side with God, but to side against God, at war against God with Satan and demons. At this point, all that God had created had been counterfeited, co-opted. It has been corrupted by sin, by evil. And we were in a precarious situation regarding humanity. That is that we could not save ourselves or fix this problem, that there was a big war and we were on the wrong side of the war. Knowing that we were desperate out of great affection, Jesus Christ, our God, got off his throne, entered into human history. He went from the unseen to the seen realm. In addition to spiritually existing, he adopted and adapted to a human body. And then Jesus' whole life was one of war. Every time he was tempted, it was war. Every time that he was tested, it was war. Every time that he was tried, it was war. And Jesus marched through his life in complete and total victory, filled with the spirit, never did sin, and ultimately went to the cross and did something for you, my friend, something amazing for you, something loving for you, something transformative for you. He substituted himself and he died in your place for your sins. What this does, this delivers you from demonic ownership. When we are sinners, Satan has a right to us and authority over us. Once Jesus dies to forgive our sins, our obligations to all demonic spirits, forces, and powers are forever canceled. To meet Jesus is to be delivered from the demonic and then saved by a savior. All of this means that human history will culminate, we'll get there in a minute, with one final war to end all wars. I'm gonna quote mainly a few things Jesus said and the book of Revelation. We're gonna look at the end. Where is history going? What will Jesus be doing? And where will we be spending all of this eternal time? The decision that you make today is a battle cry decision. Are you going to side with or against God, the Lord Jesus Christ? I wanna start by telling you about Jesus. My favorite thing is to tell you about Jesus. And we're gonna go to Revelation chapter five, where you're gonna learn that Jesus Christ is both simultaneously and eternally a lion and a lamb. Revelation five, five and six. Weep no more. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but rejoice in this, I've overcome the world. You're gonna shed tears until you see Jesus again, and then it'll all come to a great grand finale. Behold, so heaven opens up. This man, John, who writes this is in the seen realm, and he gets a peek into the unseen realm. The lion, 
Who's that? It's Jesus Christ. The tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's his earthly family genealogy has conquered. And between the throne and the four living creatures, these are angelic and human beings who are in the presence of God, singing the praises of God because they are the people of God, saw among the elders, a what? A lamb. Jesus is lion, Jesus is lamb, as though it had been slain. That's Jesus dying on the cross in your place for your sins. With seven horns, seven eyes, seven is the number of perfection in the Bible, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He's saying that Jesus is lion and lamb. Here's what most people do. They see Jesus as lion or lamb. He is lion and lamb. Those who will be in hell forever will only experience Jesus as lion. Those who are in heaven with Jesus forever will only experience Jesus as lamb. Let's talk about this since we have nothing else to do. Okay, so lion, what is a, this is what I'd ask my kids when they were little. What does the lion say? You guys are pretty weak lions. Okay, yeah. Roar! Lion roars. They're scary, right? They're powerful. They're, they're majestic. What, what do we call the lion? The king of the, the jungle. You've been to a jungle? It's Scooby-Doo scary in the jungle. It's scary. There's all these beasts and animals and everything's trying to kill you. And he is the king of the jungle. What does the lion eat? Anything, alligator, crocodile, elephant. A lion goes to the jungle and it looks to them like a Costco filled with free samples. They eat whatever they want, okay? They eat whatever they want. Now, when it comes to this issue of Jesus as lion, when he was on the earth, who was he primarily lion toward? Men, especially proud, arrogant men, especially religiously proud, arrogant men. So I gotta pay attention to all of that. He, he was a lion. He was, he was fearless and at times he was furious. There's one occasion where it says that Jesus made a whip to whip them. How angry you gotta get Jesus. He's like, I'm gonna whip you. I gotta make my own whip first before I can whip you. Some of you, your dad whipped you, but he wasn't motivated enough to make the whip, right? He, he just took his belt off. What happens is Jesus gets so, so angry, so righteously indignant at rude and proud religious leaders that they experience him as lion. Jesus was also lamb. What's a lamb say? Bad. What is a lamb? A lamb, a lamb is more of a timid creature, more of a social creature. Not a scary being, right? I mean, what do we tell kids? You can't sleep? Okay, what would be the most soothing thing you could think of? Count sheep, count sheep, count sheep. What do, what do sheep eat? Vegetables, they're vegetarians. Sheep are vegetarians. Where do they, some of you are like, you're picking on vegetarians. That's bad, that's bad. Okay, we found the lambs, we found the lambs. Okay, where, where do lambs live? Wherever, they're homeless. They're homeless. And, and do they ever attack anyone or anything? No, they're pacifists. I, I like to say it this way, they're hippies. They're vegetarian, 
homeless pacifists. They're hippies. They're the first hippies. Are there times during his earthly ministry that Jesus is really a lamb? With children? It doesn't say Jesus whipped the children. All of you dads, write that down. All right, only the men got whipped by Jesus, so whip yourself, not your child, okay? Something to pray about. A couple of the wives said amen. You obviously have some family issues. Nonetheless, Jesus was a lamb to women and children, to those who were hurting, to those who were oppressed, to those who were broken. He was a lamb. Question, is Jesus lion or lamb? Yes. This is what I tell men all the time. Jesus is a tough lion for us. Jesus is a tender lamb with us. If men want to be like Jesus, they need to know when to be tough and when to be tender. Jesus is tough for us. He is tender with us. He is a lion in hell. He will be a lamb ruling over heaven. You will spend forever with Jesus. You, my friend, will die. You will not stand before a mirror and give an account. As you read here, you will stand before his throne and give an account. And your eternal destiny forever and ever and ever ultimately comes down to how you will deal with the wrath of God. Uh, Jesus says it this way in John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son, it's not whether or not you're a good person. It's not whether or not you're a moral person. It's not whether or not you are a spiritual person. The issue, the singular issue, the most important issue, the most important decision you will ever make, the most important part of you is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you believe in the son? It all comes down to Jesus. Has what? Eternal life. You know how long that is? That's forever and ever and ever. It's amazing, it's awesome. This life is where you make a decision and then enter into your eternal life. For the Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever be. For the non-Christian, this is as close to heaven as you will ever get. For the Christian, this is as bad and dark as it will be. For the non-Christian, this is as light and good as it will be. He goes on to say, whoever, two categories, does not obey the Son shall not see life. He's talking there about hell. But the wrath of God remains on him. Let's talk about the wrath of God. People don't talk about the wrath of God. And here's what I want you to know. We're all hypocrites because we're pouring out our wrath every day. There are people we don't like, there are people we don't love, there are people that we attack, there are people that we malign, there are people that we criticize. We live in a world filled with wrath that wants to have wrath against God's wrath. God's wrath is this, no love, no grace, no mercy, no exception, only justice forever. That's where the Bible says, it's a fearful, dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we take ourselves so seriously, we take God so lightly. We think that those who offend us are so bad and yet believe wrongly that we are so good and we've all offended him. Some people will say, God can't have wrath, God is love. 
lion and lamb. The love of God is Jesus as lamb. The wrath of God is Jesus as lion. The Bible does say that God is love, but the number one attribute of God that is listed more than any other is his wrath. It's spoken of with some 20 different words in the Bible on more than 600 occasions. Wrath is what a holy, just, and good God must pour out where there is rebellion, sin, folly, and death. It's the same reason why if someone commits a crime against you, you believe that the cops should be called, a judge should be invited in to make a decision so that they can no longer harm you. We've all sinned against God. The reason why we don't like his wrath is because we're the criminals. If you were the victim, you love justice. If you were the criminal, you hate justice. The fact that we hate justice and the wrath of God simply reveals that he is the victim and we are the criminal. When it comes to the wrath of God, there are two different ways that God expresses his wrath. One is passive, the other is active. Let me explain this to you. The passive wrath of God is spoken of in Romans chapter one. This summer, we're gonna get into the book of Romans. So start reading ahead, buckle up, get a helmet. We'll see you on Sunday. It's gonna be amazing. But Romans one starts off talking about the passive wrath of God. I'll give a little quote to you from it. He declares it in this way. God's wrath is revealed and he says, God handed them over. That's passive wrath. Some of you, you're like, God must not care. He doesn't do anything. God must not exist. He doesn't stop me. God must have changed his mind because he's not intervened. You're experiencing the passive wrath of God. The person who gets to do whatever they want is living in the passive wrath of God. It's like Jesus looking at Judas and saying, if you wanna do that, go do it. I'm not gonna stop you. The passive wrath is the same position that the relationship ended between Judas and Jesus. Passive wrath is for a season and then it culminates in the second kind of wrath, active wrath. It says this just in the next chapter of Romans, Romans chapter two, verse five. He says, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What he is saying is that no one is getting away with anything, that everyone is storing up everything for the day of wrath. The language of the Bible is this, that God's passive wrath allows you to do whatever you want. And then his active wrath is the consequence for you eternally, the judgment and justice upon you eternally. The Bible uses the language of a cup. And it is that your sin goes into a cup of God's wrath. And there are two ways for this cup to be emptied. Number one, Jesus Christ drinks your cup filled with God's wrath, or you drink that cup every day into eternity. That cup is filled by each of us, and it must be emptied by all of us either by faith in Jesus' suffering or our own suffering. This is serious business. 
of all the things you can know, this is the most important thing to know. Of all the decisions you will make, this is the most important decision for you to make. The story of Jesus is that as he was heading to the cross to drink full strength, the cup of the Father's wrath for us, for you and for me, that he was in such anguish that he was sweating like drops of blood. And I don't know if you remember his prayer, but he prays, Father, take this cup from me. Friend, that was your cup. It had your name on it. In it is all of your sin, folly, rebellion, independence, stubbornness, and pride. In it is all of your sins of thought, word, deed, and motive. In it, in it was all of your transgressions. Commission where you did things you shouldn't and omission where you didn't do the things you should. And then Jesus prayed, surrendering and submitting so that he could be our savior. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus went to the cross and he drank your cup. Because Jesus drank your cup, you don't need to drink your cup. If you reject Jesus, it is completely just and right that if you will not allow him to consume the cup for you, that you will need to consume it for yourself. That is hell, conscious, eternal torment and justice, the wrath of God, the punishment meets the crime for all eternity. Everything rises or falls with how you handle God's wrath. For those who reject Jesus, they will receive that cup in a place called hell. We're gonna talk about hell. Nobody talks about wrath, nobody talks about hell. People are like, I don't like wrath, I don't like hell. That's why I'm telling you about it, so you can avoid both. This is not a sales pitch, this is an anti-sales pitch. Wrath is bad, hell is hot, forever is a long time, okay? You need Jesus. Here's what he says, Matthew 25, 41. He talks about the eternal fire. How long is eternal? Forever and ever and ever. So people are like, oh, you just cease to exist. No, eternal. There's eternal life, eternal damnation but it's eternal, eternal fire, heat, punishment, suffering, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Their rebellion is unforgiven. You need to know this, Jesus didn't come as a demon, he came as a human. Jesus didn't go to the cross to pay the price for demons, he only went to the cross to pay the price for humans. What Satan, the devil, and demons get is just justice, the wrath of God, the fires of hell. There's no possibility of salvation for them, but there is possibility of salvation for us. This means that God gives them solely justice and he gives us an opportunity for forgiving grace. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. You don't need to go there. You don't need to be there. You don't need to suffer there. You don't need to arrive there. What is hell gonna be like? Revelation 14 talks about the end of time. Revelation 14, 10 through 11. For those who reject Jesus, he will also drink 
What? The wine of God's wrath. See, when we take communion today, I never even thought of it until right now. When we take communion in a little bit, remember Jesus drank my cup. And if you don't love Jesus, he's gonna hand you your cup and you're gonna drink it forever. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be what? Tormented. You don't just die and go to a better place. You don't die and become an angel. You die and stand before Jesus. Tormented with fire and sulfur, that's suffering in the presence of what? The holy angels and the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Hell is forever. Heaven is forever. God made you with a soul. You will live after you die. The only difference is where you might go. How many of you have been wrongly told that Satan rules over hell and God rules over heaven? Jesus Christ rules over heaven as a lamb. He rules over hell as a lion. When all is said and done, Satan will not be a king. He will not have a kingdom. No one and no thing belongs to Satan. And he rules over no one. He rules over nothing. Don't believe the lie that hell will be fun, that you get to do what you want, and that the devil runs the party. It says that he will be busy being tormented by Jesus. Now, what's curious about this, those who are in hell experiencing Jesus as lion will see him as what? Lamb. How horrible will it be? He he loves people. I rejected that. He forgives people. I neglected that. He, he, he changes people and I resisted that. Friends, let me tell you this. You're gonna be looking at Jesus forever, either with great joy or great grief, with great blessing or great judgment. You cannot avoid Jesus. You cannot avoid Jesus. When all is said and done, he rules over everything and everyone. Now, some of you be like, this is scary. No, it's reality. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. The cross is real. The resurrection is real. The decision that you make today is really real. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. About 13% of his instruction is about hell. Much of his teaching in the form of parables is about hell. And he uses this language of Gehenna. What would happen in their day, they would live in a city that was filled with the presence of God as its center. So it's the people of God in the presence of God, singing praises to God. Outside of the city, on the other side of the walls, there was a garbage dump called Gehenna. 
Gehenna is where everything that was dirty and defiled and disregarded was sent. Corrupted bodies, trash was all sent to Gehenna. And if you were in the city looking toward Gehenna in the middle of the night, you would still see the flame burning because the flames of the garbage dump of Gehenna, they burn day and night and the smoke would rise up continually. This is exactly the language that Isaiah uses in the last chapter of his book. This is exactly the language that Jesus uses talking about Gehenna, if memory serves me correct, on 11 different occasions. And here, this is the imagery that you will either be the people of God in the presence of God singing praises to God, or you will be on the garbage heap of history where flames continue and where smoke of torment is always rising. It's because God made you with a soul. You are an eternal being. Let me tell you a little bit more about hell. Here's what hell is like. Revelation 20, 12 through 15. This is a look into the unseen realm. This is a glimpse into the future. This is a preview. I saw the dead, those are the physically dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Hebrews 9.27 says, you die once and then give account to God for judgment. Just because your body goes into the grave does not mean that your soul ceases to exist. It goes into the presence of God for judgment. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Now, let me tell you about this. This is where the fight is. The fight in heaven was who sits on that throne? Satan said, I want God off and I want myself on. And then Satan came to the earth and he came to our first parents and he's come to you and he says, you should be the highest authority. You should live independently. There should be a throne over your life and you should sit on that throne. You should give an account to no one, others should give an account to you. You will be judged by no one, others will be judged by you. It's all demonic because what God creates, Satan counterfeits. The throne is spoken of a few hundred times in the Bible. About 65 of them are in the New Testament. Two thirds of those are in the book of Revelation because history ultimately is moving toward a throne. Jesus Christ sits on that throne right now, just as real as you sitting in your seat. So right now, Jesus is sitting on his throne. All praise, all honor, all glory in Revelation goes to the one seated on the throne. All judgment, all justice, all condemnation comes from the one who is on the throne. That ultimately the battle is over who's on the throne. If you are on the throne of your life, you are in grave danger because one day you will die and stand before that throne. I love you. I'm gonna lose my voice and lose my mind. But my job is to tell you the truth and your job is to make a decision. God will hold me accountable for the words I say and hold you accountable for the decision you make.
It's a battle for the throne. It goes on. And books were open. This is the invite list to heaven. Tell you one more thing about the throne. In that day, like many Eastern cultures in our day, people sat on the floor. There were three kinds of people that sat on a throne. A warrior, after they won a victory, would be elevated and honored. A priest would sit on a throne between the people and God to mediate and make intercession. And a king who ruled over a kingdom would sit upon a throne. When we see the throne, we know that Jesus Christ is our warrior king who conquers Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. I need you to know not just who you're saved by, but who you're saved from. You are saved from God, by God, for God. Jesus also is our high priest who is seated on his throne and he lives to make intercession. And Jesus is a king who rules over an invisible kingdom that one day he will make visible to all. Books are open, here's the invite list. My whole prayer goal today, we get you on the invite list for the kingdom of God. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. There's a guest list for hell, there's a guest list for heaven. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There will be different degrees of reward in heaven as there will be different degrees of punishment in hell. God is absolutely just. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, that is the grave, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, the grave, were thrown into the lake of fire. That's hell. It's the image of Gehenna. This is the second death. You die physically, but that's not the worst. If you don't know Jesus, then you die spiritually, eternally. The worst thing is not to die. The worst thing is to live without Jesus and die without Jesus. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We're talking here about hell. The Bible is clear, amen? Sometimes clearer than Bible teachers. They're like, I don't know. No, you do. <laughs> if you just tell people that, you get wrath. But if you don't tell them that, they get wrath. And if you love the people, you tell them the truth. Some of you will have objections. I can see it in your face. I'll try and answer a few of those briefly. Some will say, hell is cruel. Everybody who goes there, that's where they chose to be. I talked to a guy recently, not a Christian. He's like, I don't like the, I don't, hell, I don't like that. You're not supposed to. God didn't prepare the brochure in such a way that that's where you wanna go for your forever vacation, amen? Like, it's very hot. It's forever. It, yeah, it's a dry heat, yeah. Um, And I asked the guy, I said, do you wanna be with Jesus forever? He's like, no. Well, then it's not cruel if you don't go. You get what you want. Heaven is for all the people who like Jesus. Heaven is for all the people who wanna worship and 
celebrate and honor Jesus and obey Jesus and follow Jesus. And if you're like, that ain't me, then it's not cruel not to drag you there because our heaven would be your hell. Because we love what you hate and we hate what you love. Number two, hell is intolerant. Yes. Yes, it is. Not everybody gets in. Where do we talk about intolerance? College. Do you know what you need to do is apply and pay. If they don't approve of your grades, your test scores, or your check bounces, you'll find that though they're teaching on tolerance, they're very intolerant and you no longer can get to go to that college. We call that hypocrisy. That there are organizations that you need to agree to the terms to be a part of. Try not paying your HOA and see how tolerant they are. <laughs> Try not paying your car payment and see how tolerant your lender is. That ultimately God has a right to decide who moves into his house forever. Let me say this, you have a door on your house, so do I. It's because people don't get to decide who comes in and lives there. We get to decide because that's our house. Jesus says that heaven is what? The Father's house. He doesn't allow everyone into his house. Anyone who has a door on their house should know that God has a door on his house. Now here's what's crazy. God invites his enemies to move into his house if they will surrender to Jesus and stop all the fighting. That means God is actually a lot more generous than we are. How many of you right now are not writing invitations for your enemies to move to your house? That's what God does with the invitation of Jesus. God welcomes anyone to live with him forever as long as they play by his house rules and love the members of his family. Some will say, number three, hell is unloving. Again, hell is actually incredibly loving. I'm a dad, I got five kids, two of them are daughters. If harm is coming, guess what I'm gonna do? Put myself in the middle. Now the person experiencing me may not feel as loved as they were hoping. <laughs> but my daughters will feel loved because the lion goes out and the lamb comes home. When God says, you can't do that to people forever, that kind of behavior is not acceptable eternally. It's not that God is unloving, he's actually very loving and he's protecting the people who love him. Number four, hell is exclusive. Hell is exclusive. Let me say this, Jesus is the most inclusive and the most exclusive. He is the most exclusive in that he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, singular, no one, no exception comes to the Father but by me. That's very exclusive. The Bible calls that a narrow door. The Bible refers to that as a narrow path. But who's invited to Jesus? Everybody. 
So God is the most inclusive. It doesn't matter what nation, what race, your past, your regrets, what you've done, where you've been, who you are. Everyone is invited to Jesus. There are many ways to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, let me just say this. Some of you will look at the concept of hell and say, I just don't, I don't think that's right. Question, why did God give us an opportunity he never gave to Satan and demons? It's because he was loving. It was because he was inclusive. It was because he was willing to tolerate us. It's because he was willing to do life with us. And I don't know about you, but if Satan and demons versus men and women, if this category of being has no opportunity for salvation and we have one opportunity for salvation, I think rather than arguing, we should be submitting and rejoicing. Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is coming back. There will be a day when Jesus gets off his throne and he returns into human history. He will come to be a lion for those who oppose him and a lamb for those who love him. This is one of my favorite scriptures, Revelation 19. If you've listened to me preach, I have hammered this like a nail for decades. It's awesome. It's such a good verse. If this doesn't fire you up, your wood's wet. This is amazing. This is the war to end all wars. There was a war in heaven. There was a war in the garden. There was a war at the cross. Your battles are part of the great war. How many of you are battle weary? Culture wars, trade wars, political wars, relational wars, physical wars, spiritual wars, financial wars. There is a day when war is no more. There is a day. Oh, don't clap yet. I haven't even read the verse. Here we go. I saw heaven open. So he, this guy, John, gets to see into the unseen realm and he's in history and he gets to glimpse into eternity. And behold, it's like overwhelming. A white horse. Okay, old guys, who rides the white horse? Jesus, remember all the Westerns? The good guy always rides, here he comes. The day's gonna come when one day, the heavens are gonna open and here comes Jesus on a white horse. That's a good day if you love Jesus. It's a bad day if you don't. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes what? War. First time Jesus came as lion, second time he comes. At first time rather he came as lamb, second time he comes as lion. He's gonna make war against sin, death, Satan, rebellion, everyone, everything that is declared war on him will be conquered by him. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees and knows all. On his head are many diadems, that's crowns. A prince or a princess will have a crown. One day, all crowns will be worn just by Jesus. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in what? Blood, this is warrior Jesus. The name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven, those are divine and human beings who are part of God's family 
arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on horses. For those of you that are in the military, remember your dress whites? Do you wear your dress whites to war? How many of you didn't go into battle wearing white linen? And how many Marines? You're like, yeah, we didn't do that. We didn't do white linen for war. But once peacetime came and they put medals on us and we got to celebrate in parades, we got dressed up in dress whites. Jesus comes to make war. We come in dress whites. We just show up for the parade. It's ultimately his fight and it's our party. Goes on to say, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. There won't be any more elections. Woo, come by November, Lord Jesus, right? There, there won't be any kings, there won't be any princes, there won't be any presidents. Every year, it'll just be Jesus on the throne and everything's okay. Amen? Amen? Oh, let me tell you this. If your hope is in no, next November, your hope is in the wrong place. I don't know who's gonna win, but I know it ain't gonna be heaven. That I will prophesy. All right, here we go. He goes on. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh called this thug Jesus. He has ridden. That's the Greek word for tattoo, trust me. King of kings, Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords, thug Jesus, wearing white, riding a horse, coming into battle to put down the nations and to set captives free. Woo! Huh. You wanna talk about heaven too? Is there any good news? This guy's so angry and discouraging. No, I need to tell you the bad news so you really like the good news. I need to tell you what you're saved from so you're excited about what you're saved to. Here's a little picture of the kingdom of heaven. Again, Revelation 21, he gets a vision. He gets to see into the unseen realm. I saw a what? New heaven, new earth. Everybody's trying to make the world better. Jesus will make it new. New. Not just improving what is, but replacing what is. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more, divisions between people. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this instance, with the second coming of Jesus, he answers that prayer. You need to know that when all is said and done, there will only be two cultures, the culture of heaven, the culture of hell. All the other nations and cultures will be gone. And that every day we make decisions to invite either heaven down into our life or to pull hell up into our life. There will come a day, however, when the earth and heaven, the seen and the unseen realms, God's divine and human family are reconciled together perfectly forever. Here, some people say you need food, water, air, and shelter to live. I would add hope. You can have food, water, air, and shelter and take your own life if you don't have hope. Our hope is not in this world. 
Our hope is from the kingdom of God. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's in our king named Jesus. And our hope is that this is as close to hell as we will ever be. So we keep marching forward until we see him face to face. He goes on. I saw the new city, the holy Jerusalem coming out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Next slide. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. I want you to be there. I want you to be with Jesus. I want you to be his people. I love you. It's so exciting to invite you to the party. It's a party that never ends and it's a perfect party. And Jesus is the host and he is the honored guest, amen? And it's like, he says, it's like a wedding. When a wedding happens, we go and we're excited. Well, eternity ends with a wedding where Jesus is like a groom. He comes back and takes the church like his bride and he throws a big celebration that we're all invited to, to rejoice in this love together forever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. On the way to this party, you're gonna shed your tears. It talks here about death shall be no more, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. You know what that describes? Life on the earth. Death, mourning, crying, pain. But it won't be forever for the former things have passed away. He was seated on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. A new you. There is coming a day. I just need you to see this by faith until you see it by sight. That Jesus will call your name and that you will come forth from your grave. That your soul and your body will be rejoined. The two realms become one reality. The Bible promises that you will see Jesus face to face. Now, let me tell you this. When you see Jesus face to face, you will have tears in your eye. You'll be looking back at your life with regrets, remorse, repentance. You look into the face of Jesus and ask yourself, why did I ever choose to rebel against my king? And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to put his hands out. This is what it says. His nail scarred hands and with a smile, he will wipe the tears from your eyes and he will say, as he holds your face, I'm making all things new. That's why you'll never rebel again. Once you have seen the hands of the nail scarred Jesus holding your face, wiping your tears, you will know that he loves you and rebellion against him is insanity. So I want you to prepare for that day. In closing, I want you to prepare for your promotion. You're gonna graduate. To live is Christ, to die is gain. First Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. 
As you think about heaven, as you think about the second coming of Jesus, as you think about eternal life, it's not just greater, my friend, than you think. It's greater than you can think. It's bigger than your mind can conceive. It's greater than the vision this world can provide. He gives us glimpses, foreshadowing, tastes. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Revelation 3.21. The battle was over the throne. Satan wanted to take the throne. Jesus never leaves the throne, but he lets you sit on the throne. Somebody asks, what does this mean, Pastor Mark? I don't even know. And I'm a professional with a degree. I just know this is amazing. How many of you, if you went to a kingdom and on a throne was the king, and he was like, you wanna sit in my chair? Now that you mention it, I kind of (laughs) do. Jesus gives authority by grace that the demonic cannot take by pride. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Revelation 5.10. You have made them a kingdom. God's kingdom is largely people and priests, holy people set aside. They shall reign on the earth. Some ask, what will heaven be like? You will not be a chubby baby in a diaper, plinking a hark with little tiny wings, wanting to kill yourself because this is your forever, okay? It's not gonna be like that. Instead, you're gonna get a resurrected body, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. You're gonna have authority. You're gonna have a meaningful, purposeful, valuable rule. You're going to rule and reign on the earth. And when all is said and done, Do you not know that you are going to judge angels? The Bible says that right now we're made a little lower than the angels. You resurrect from death. Jesus is done with you. You are the perfect and altogether new you. All the demons that have opposed you and Satan, that toothless dragon who leads them will be brought on parade. And Jesus will ask, what do you want me to do with this one? Uh, Son, this was the demon that tormented, molested, harmed, abused, attacked, maligned, accused you. What do you want me to do with him? That's why we fight. Because this enemy knows that that day is coming. Romans 16, 20. The God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So we march forward in faith. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you excited about Jesus? That's the issue. If you have never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you how simple this is. Right now, he is on a throne ruling and reigning, overhearing all that we are saying and thinking. And all you need to do is in the quietness of your mind or heart, simply earnestly say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. If you have never prayed that prayer, if you have never made that pledge, if you have never invited that relationship, I would 
beg you to do so right now. Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me. Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me. And for those of you that received the Lord Jesus Christ today, in a moment, we're gonna throw a party because heaven's a party, so we gotta practice. In addition, we're gonna take communion and when you dip into the cup, remind yourself, Jesus drank my cup. There's no cup for me to drink. And what we're gonna do in a moment, we're gonna do our, one of our favorite things. We're gonna baptize people who are brand new Christians, all right? And baptism is looking back, saying Jesus died and Jesus rose. And it's looking forward when Jesus will return, I will rise even though I am dead. So it is a, it is a promise that what happened to Jesus will happen to those who belong to Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, if you have questions about Christ, if you wanna be a Christian, if you prayed that prayer, just go to the back, go to the back, go to the back. We have leaders who will love you, pray for you. We're getting ready to dunk you. We got towels, we got shirts, we got shorts. Jesus didn't tell you you're gonna get saved and baptized because you wouldn't come. So he told me to tell you right now, but he told us to prepare for you. So we have clothes and towels. Amen? And we're gonna celebrate. Let me pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sin is forgiven. Satan is defeated. Heaven is open. The grave has been conquered. People are delivered. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. We come to worship you. We invite your presence. We welcome whatever divine beings you want to send to encourage and love and bless these dear children of yours. Holy Spirit, please give faith. Please give sight. Please give life to these dear people so that they can begin their forever party until they see Jesus face to face. And all God's people said, amen. amen.